Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Padraig Kennedy and Oshin Prenderville. Hi, guys. Hi, Mike. Hey, now, Mike. Now, you are better known as Super Top Squid, uh, which is the name of your development company, but I will ask you both in turn. Uh, Padraig, what do you like to be known for? Um, I like to be known for making the Castro podcast app all by myself with no help at all from Machine. <laughs> <laughs> and Machine, what do you like to be known for? Uh, I, I like to be known for, I guess, for having a, having a beard to rival Jim Dalrymple's. <laughs> Just a funny story about that. Uh, do you want to tell that story about what happened at all conference where we met in person a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, it was it was the night before um, we were standing outside a bar in Dublin and the guy who was at the conference, I, I, we just started chatting about different things and I was about to introduce myself, but then he just turned to me and said, no need, I know who you are, you're the guy who writes the loop. <laughs> if you go to uh, the show notes, which are at 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 97, you can find a link to Oshin's Twitter, which is also at prendio 2 and you will see a picture of him with a very epic beard in what I can only assume is a Fidel Castro pose. I think the picture may... Yeah, I think that was when we were launching Castro and I decided I had to have a Cuban cigar. <laughs> it looks... It's, it's very Castro. You've even got like a green hat on. I'm wearing it right now. You are wearing your <laughs> Castro hat as we speak. So... We're going to get into talking about uh, Castro, which is a podcast client, which I'm sure that many, many of uh, our listeners today are listening to this show on. But um, I want to understand a little bit from you both about your backgrounds, um, sort of where you come from and how you got into development. So, Padraig, why don't you start? Sure. Um, let's see. I, I guess I've always played around with computers um, my whole life and then got into the Got into Coco a little bit in 2004 after I got my first Mac, um, but never really didn't do it like as a job for a few more years. Um, and then when the iPhone came out, I built a little tool called the iPhone Backup Extractor. Sorry, iPhone Backup Extractor, and it would decode your iTunes backups um, of your iPhone, which gave you a way to get your data out of your apps and was kind of cool for developers who wanted to get debug files from their users or just people who are curious and wanted to download their SMS database. Um, so I did that and that was a free app. And then from there, from there onwards, I just, I built a few more small commercial apps for, on the Mac mainly afterwards. Um, and then I, I'd known Oshin for a few years and we decided to, that we, we'd like to build something together um, as like a new product just for ourselves. And that's when we came up with the idea for tokens. And Oshin, what about you? Um, well, my background initially was in web development. I did a multimedia course in, in DCU and afterwards worked at an animation shop for a little while, just kind of doing menial tasks around the place. And a uh, joint friend of Podrick's and, and mine, um, John Ryan, was, was doing a lot of free, freelance web development work so kind of went to just start doing stuff with him i never really was very suited to a day job so it was nice to kind of be a bit more independent and i was doing web development stuff for a good few years and until i think about 2009 2010 um i was traveling around central and south america for a couple of years and it got to a point where the freelance work from ireland was starting to dry up a little bit because i i hadn't shown my face so i wanted something where I wouldn't be relying on on clients to to bring the work to me, where I could make something myself and put it out into the world. So that's when I started um, learning iOS development and started building my my first iOS app was a a music app called My Artists, which was basically a replacement for the music app on the phone. So I built that, learned Objective C, built that in about six months, and got that up on the store and kind of have just been doing that and similar things ever since so where does the name Supertop come from and also how did you guys get to start working together well do you um, Supertop was Podrig's website that he talked about for the iPhone backup extractor I, I'm, he might have to explain the reasons behind this I can't remember why but it was called supercrazyawesome.com 
Um, and when I did independent stuff or when I did the, my artist app, my company was called Top Drawer Apps, which was it was it was a reference to my granddad who he used to make these really awful jokes um, that nobody else thought was funny except him. And after telling one of these jokes, he'd smack the table really hard with his hand and just say, oh, that was, that was one out of the top drawer. Um, <laughs> so when I was setting up a, a company, I, I went for, for top drawer apps. And then it was when myself and Podrick were uh, starting to work together. Uh, we, so we took the super from Super Crazy Awesome and the top from top drawer apps, and, and that was super top. And how did you guys get to start this company together? How did that come about? Well, we the name Supertop only came around as we um, finished up Castro, but we worked together on tokens before that. Um, and yeah, we'd just known each other for a few years and done a few commercial bits and pieces together. But um, Ushin had done my artists, and we, we thought we could maybe do something interesting if with the two of us. And then you went out on your own. And before I move on to your first product, on Twitter, you're Super Top Squid. Why is that? Um, the name Super Top was taken. <laughs> and Twitter's process for getting names back seems to be you should have a good friend who works at Twitter. And so you so, just, we decided to go for the little squid, the little emoji squid. Yeah, the, the, the squid it, does have some, uh, some meaning. That's true. Too, There's a bit of a too. story. <laughs> I um, want to hear so, it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Okay, um, so we were at WWDC last year, and um, myself and Ashin and a couple other guys were having a few drinks, and we got talking about uh, the the list of mute filters that you have on your iPhone for Tweetbot. That that's like a, a super personal thing for each person, and that you know I'd love to see what some of my friends' mute filters are, for example. Like yeah. I'm probably on them, um, and. One that I shared that I have is just that airplane emoji, just because I got, as we went to WWDC, everyone I knew was posting like their airport codes on the airplane. And I was like, I don't care about that. <laughs> um, and then I mentioned that my wife, Emily, uses that squid emoji sometimes um, in tweets or on her iMessage or whatever. So I said I would never block that. So then the guys started writing like SFO squid Dublin <laughs> just to just to troll me. So that that just became a joke then, and we kind of stuck with it. So, Pandarek, what is Tokens? Um, tokens is an app to help you manage um, promo codes for Mac App Store apps or iOS App Store apps. Um, the, the process for generating a promo code through iTunes Connect is a little bit arduous, especially since you don't want to generate more than you need at a given time because they expire after four weeks. So it's you go through and it's about 10 or 14 pages you have to click through on iTunes Connect. It's not the worst thing in the world, but you know it, it's, it's a little bit annoying. Um, so tokens will do that automatically in the background just by scraping HTML. And then it'll give you a nice URL that you share rather than like a 16-digit code that someone's supposed to type in somewhere. And as soon as they click that link, it'll give them the app and it'll tell the developer in tokens that that, that promo code has been redeemed. So, so if you send out all 100 of your promo codes to different magazines or blogs who want to write about you, you'll notice that maybe 30 of them don't ever get used. And then a week or two later, you can just send those ones out again to somebody else. So you get a bit more mileage out of them. Whereas before, you'd have to send them and then you'd never know which ones were redeemed. So it's, it's a fairly niche little developer app, for, mainly for iOS developers, I guess. Um, but it was a lot of fun to make and um, a lot of our friends liked it. So that was cool. And Ashin, has it been a success? Like, has the product helped set you up? It's, I, I'm, it's been an, a success of sorts. I mean, it's been a success in getting our names out there a bit, a bit in getting to know other developers and build up relationships with people. Um, commercially, I'd say it's. I mean, it's. It, I mean, it pays some of our bills. It buys some of our dinners, but it's it's not a it's it's not a, a big business by any stretch um but it is a an app and a product that that we're both really proud of and that i mean that we're happy to have out there and that we love that we when we get to meet people at wwdc and other conferences who use it regularly and um it's it's something we're very proud of 
Yeah, I bet you guys are rock stars at things like that, right? So you, you're in like your entire product base in one place at one time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think I'd go rock star on it, but. <laughs> It is nice to to just meet a new developer and you talk about what you worked on and if they know something that you built, that's a really cool feeling. So every once in a while, if we see a developer who we who we really respect, we really like their work, sharing promo codes like just raw promo codes on on Twitter, we 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 are like. Oh, we cannot have them doing that. We have to send them a copy of tokens. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's save your life a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, Patrick, Tommy, with making a tool like this for developers, does it concern you that one day Apple could just come in and completely destroy what you do? Like they could just Sherlock you into non-existence? Does that? Oh, work? yeah, we were. Yeah, and with tokens in particular, they wouldn't even have to consciously do it. They could just, you know, if they redesigned iTunes Connect. A ton of our work that we did um, on the HTML scraping would would have to be redone from scratch. Right. So so we, but you know, ultimately it would be a lot nicer if there were just a, a solid API for promo codes. Um, but so that was a constant worry for us. Um, but I think we knew that iTunes Connect hadn't changed much in years. Like it's, I think it was repurposed from when iTunes just sold music, and this was the interface that. Um, music labels use to upload their music. So we, we knew that it wasn't really a priority for them to update it every single six months or every year. And actually, since, since we launched Tokens, they've only, it's changed very, very little. And it's been a year and a half now. So our, our scraper is broken like once or twice. And because it's not a Mac App Store app, we're able to identify that very quickly and get a, get a bug fix build done and get it out to people within just a few hours. So... So yeah, it's, it's, it was a little bit worrying, but we, we thought we'd get away with a year or two anyway. Yeah. And so far we have. Could this live in the App Store or is it something that you keep independent by choice? Uh, no, it couldn't go in the App Store. The, the, the key thing it's doing is scraping HTML from an Apple service. And that's like, there's a rule that almost word for word says, don't ever do that. <laughs> so it wouldn't even, wouldn't even be worth trying and getting rejected because if we somehow fluked our way in, surely we'd be kicked out later at a future update. So, so let's talk about Castro. So Castro is a uh, podcast client where people can listen to their favorite shows. Oshin, why a podcast app? Well, it all started again at, at WWDC last year. A lot of things started at WWDC last year, I guess. <laughs> um, we had It was time for us to start a new project. Um, to, we had gotten tokens to a stage where we were happy to move on and start something new. Um, so our plan was to go to San Francisco for the week. And then we had another couple of weeks afterwards where we went to Portland and I went up to visit Podrick in Vancouver. And the whole plan was, okay, let's plan out our next project and start working on it. And it was going to be, beforehand, it was going to be another a developer tool. Um, but with iOS 7 um, and all the, all the interest and all the, the big changes that kind of came when we were in San Francisco, we, we realized that since we were just starting a new project, it would, be, it would be kind of crazy not to start an iOS 7 project basically straight away. Um, so we then we started going through different ideas that we had. Um, I mean, there was a lot of different things we threw out. Basically, we both were. I mean, I was really into podcasts at the time. Um, Podrick listened to them a bit more casually than I did, but it was something that we both enjoyed doing on our phones. Um, the apps that we had were grand. I mean, they had served me well for a couple of years, but we just thought, you know what? I think maybe we might have some ideas or we might be able to bring something interesting to this area. Um, it was funny then a couple of weeks after when we, we were up in Van- Vancouver and we met up with, <laughs> we met up with Alan Pike for a drink and um, we were talking to him about that we were starting an, a new app and he said, he, he was like, he was asking like, was it a developer tool or whatever? And I was like, I said, no, we're kind of, we're going, picking a, a big category of app and we're going to tackle it. And Alan just said, well, 
That sounds good, just as long as it is in the podcast app, because everyone is doing podcast apps. <laughs> <laughs> so we looked at each other and we looked at Alan and we just said, yes, it is. <laughs> what had you both been using before Castro? Instacast. Yeah, I was me. Instacast as well. I have nothing to say. I just like just wondered. Uh, <laughs> was this your first consumer project, Patrick? Like that that you were doing independently? I'm going to say yes. You know, together at least, because you only had tokens before, right? Um, pretty much on iOS anyway, for sure. Yeah, I, I think it was. Um, yeah, it was like having done tokens. I think we started to feel a bit more confident about our ability to try and make something with a much broader appeal. Like making a developer tool is is great because developers, if they do like it, they're really good with feedback. They're kind of understanding about bugs and they'll help you out and they, they know how hard it is to publicize it. So they'll recommend it to their friends just by themselves. Um, so I, I think we felt like that would be an easier one to do first. But but once we got through that, we were excited to like take on a, a big real category. Um, was. What are some of the biggest differences that you've found in creating a developer tool to creating a consumer product? Hmm. Um, so, for example, I assume that like support requests are very different in nature. Yeah, a little bit. Um, one, one big thing is that people, like for tokens, I, I think it's a great app and everyone listening should buy it. <laughs> but it's a, an app that's really helpful for like when you're launching one of your own apps, which for most people isn't that many times per year. Um, it's, you know, for an average indie developer, maybe they launch one or two apps a year or they'll launch a big new version and release promo codes for it. So tokens is great for the time you're using it, but the rest of the time it's just sitting in your applications folder, not doing much. Whereas with Castro, podcast apps are something that people use. You know, if you listen to podcasts, you listen to them all the time. Um, so, it was a much different process to design an app, I think, that we knew someone's going to pull out every day. Like, minor annoyances really build up when you when you use something every day. Um, and, like, a crash that happens one in a one in hundred times when you have thousands and thousands of customers is a much bigger deal than one when you don't have thousands and thousands of customers. What about something like pricing, Ashin? How did you think about pricing differently for Castro than you did for tokens? I mean, it just by virtue of it being even iOS rather than Mac, I think even just sets the expectations much differently, even whether it's a developer tool or not. I guess on iOS, some developer tools can still charge more of a premium, but um, I mean, we knew that we're in a market where um, 3 or $4 is high-end, expensive app. Um and, um, and if you remember one of the talks from Ool, um, I think it was, it was Dan from Monument Valley, and he had the slide about how they, they w decided that they wanted to be a premium game and they were going to charge a premium price and, and that that was $4. And I mean, <laughs> there's, there's something a little unsettling about that, but I mean, it is the realities of, of where we are. So um, we, and we compared with other paid podcast apps, um, ranged from three to four to five dollars, basically. Yeah. Um, sometimes they have sales. Uh, Downcast, I think, occasionally is one ninety nine. Um, we launched at three dollars, and now we're four dollars essentially. Um, and it, that price point seems to be working pretty well. I think once you're at three dollars, there isn't a huge disincentive to customers who are willing to pay three dollars or. I don't think they get too scared away by it being four. So that's gone well since we since we released the last update and, and put it to the to the planned full price. What about marketing? How did that differ for you when from the launch of tokens to the launch of Castro and sort of since? I think our marketing I think we still have quite a bit to learn about marketing. Okay. <laughs> um I would say our marketing maybe hasn't differ, differed enough from how we marketed tokens to how we marketed um, Castro um, in that we, I mean, a lot of it was a lot of the same sites and blogs that we contacted, a lot of the same contacts who we had built up through having tokens. Um, 
were contacts that we were then able to follow up with again and and get I mean amazing great coverage for, for Castro at its launch and recently with the with the latest update. Um, but it still has been very much similar, like daring fireball, um, the loop, um, lot, macro, lots of different sites, but similar audiences are similar sites than we were targeting with tokens as well. So it's worked out well, but I think, I mean, there's a very much definitely a technical slant to, to our user base, which maybe, um, is also indicative of of the audience for podcasts, or at least the audience for paid podcast apps. But I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to figure out marketing, I guess, in a more broad sense to try to reach um, a more broad user base. So let's talk about some of Castro's design and, and the way that you, you've done it. It's, I, I find it to be very opinionated, like you made some really bold decisions um, at the start and, and you've continued them. Like, for example, uh, rounded show artwork. Um, you don't have a viewable directory. And, and I think these things really made you stand out. Talk me through some of these decisions that you made or some, some of the things that you think are the most bold and how you uh, came to make them as a team, Patrick. Um, well, I think when we set out, we decided we wouldn't, that there was just no way we'd be able to do every single feature that every other app had from day one, at least. Um, so we weren't trying to do every feature, but the features we were going to do, we were going to do a really good job on them was how we thought about it anyway. So like every podcast app has play speeds, um, but in our last version, I think we, we, we got the algorithm working so that they sound really good now. Um, or every app has a scrubber, but we decided to put in a bit more work and address some of what we see as the uh, user interface issues with just using the default, um, that default built-in scrubber. So, so a lot of it was just what can we do really well, and not like deciding not to do something if we can't do it particularly well. Like for example, um, you mentioned discovery. That's that is something I really want to get in there. Um, but what everyone, almost every app seems to do is just regurgitate the iTunes catalog which I, I don't think is a great way to find podcasts. Every podcast I've ever found. Yeah, every, every podcast that I've liked that I've ever found has been a recommendation from a friend. Um, so, so we're trying to think about how to do that a little bit better too. Um, so it, it wasn't necessarily a, that our objective was to make something that only worked for how Ashin and I listened to podcasts. It was more that we wanted to pick a, a good flow that, that makes sense for the majority of people. Were there any sort of big debates that you had about either features to put in or things to cut out of Castro 1.0? Mm-hmm. There was one. <laughs> Go ahead, Ashi. I was just thinking there must have been. Uh, it feels a while ago now, but you can remember <laughs> something, obviously. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just a small thing. I, I remember just a few days before we launched, um, we were, uh, Ashin really wanted to add OPML import and export so that people could move from other podcast apps easily. But I was really confident in our, like the, the search we have is quite fast. Like it searches as you type. Yeah. Um, and we, we've done some work to make sure the search results, like we reorder them a bit from what iTunes gives us. Um, so like hopefully the first few are exactly what you're looking for. Um, and I just thought, look, you can get set up with your 10 podcasts or your 20 podcasts in no time. We don't need to, you know, make people mess around with weird OPML stuff. And that was a mistake. <laughs> Oshin was right. <laughs> I forgot we didn't have that in one oh no, I blocked that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of <laughs> we got a lot of email and a lot of one star reviews saying that it was pretty outrageous we didn't have that. But luckily it's not a it wasn't a difficult feature, it was just um a matter of where you put your resources. So we got it together in a few days and I think one point oh one had it. So Yeah, I remember that actually. Mm-hmm. How do you take customer feature requests? Like, how do you prioritize them? Uh, from a process point of view, we, we we put everything into Pivotal Tracker, and then we have meetings every, probably every day or two, where we just work through the, um, work through anything new that's come in and kind of tri- triage it. Um, and so we'll discuss each thing that comes up, and if it's a good idea, we'll schedule it somewhere. 
Um, and if we just decide that it's not for us or it's just too far in the future, then we won't. Um, how we actually decide is just by talking for hours, <laughs> pretty much. And then, like, what what makes the cut? Do you prioritize things if there's many, many people suggesting them, or is it like you prioritize the things that you also agree are good ideas, or is there a mix of both? Yeah, that that def a lot of people asking for something definitely has a huge influence. Like, um, we had no intention of doing continuous play in version 1.0 and if you'd asked us even a week afterwards I still would have probably said nah we're not doing that that's weird but we had so many so many reviews saying this is the perfect app but it doesn't have this um, and this was almost always continuous play so um, I, I'm the same I would never think about it I would never I'd never use it and it annoys me when apps put it on by default but that's because I don't listen to podcasts in the car on long journeys and that's that, it exactly and that's a big thing for people like when I finish a show I just go pick the next one and also I like to go in and pick what I want to listen to next rather than whatever's chronological or set up a playlist you know and reorder it but I think what I've found from yeah, just being involved in, and looking at this sort of stuff is people like to just queue up things and get in the car and drive for six hours yeah or, or even they'll listen to half an hour of a podcast and then like on their walk to work and I guess my logic had been, these tech podcasts are two hours long. I mean, do you really need continuous play? Um, they continually play for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but what actually happens is people listen to 40 minutes of it at a time. And so they might have you know, put on their coat and gloves and got, got all set up. And they go, out in the, they go out in the minus 10 weather and walk to work. And they don't really want to pull their phone out at that point when you know, they're starting from minutes 257 and there's only 10 minutes left yeah they just wanted to start on the next episode so um manual manually choosing the next episode or setting up a playlist is something that now that we have continuous play that's probably the big thing people ask for and that, that makes sense of course at the same time though as i mean we'd i mean we definitely take notice when lots of people are asking for the same thing um we I guess we like we're never we 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 haven't ever shipped anything until we ourselves are are really happy with the implementation. So a lot of it is stuff that we know is good ideas, but or at least a good thing to have in the app. But we haven't come up with a a good way of doing it yet. Um, so even say on the continuous play, for example, um, I mean to, the implementation of that. I mean the technical implementation of playing an episode after one and after the other. It wasn't the massive thing. It's just it started leading on to more and more things because we started realizing that then we were that was going to give us an extra screen in the app because we didn't want it to be on by default. Um, we tried lots of different places where you would toggle it. We ended up then adding in the in-app settings and um, the sleep timer and all this stuff kind of grew out of the continuous play and out of the implementation of that 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 we were going to be happy with. So even though continuous play wasn't something that we definitely wanted ourselves in the app, we weren't going to ship it until it was, it was done in a way that now we do like and we do use. Or at least I'd use it. <laughs> what are some of the unique challenges that come from building a podcast app as opposed to any other app? Like things that are unique to maybe building an app with audio and stuff like that. What were some of the things that you came across that you didn't expect or had never seen before? XML, but I guess that's not unique. <laughs> <laughs> what was the issues that you were having? Oh, I just this just feeds just feeds being in various different forms and different. Um, I mean, after tokens, we said, "Oh, we're never writing an app that scrapes HTML again." And at, at some point, when we I can't remember exactly what kind of weird things you find in feeds, but people put the descriptions in different fields than other ones, and. Um, different non-standard ways of, of doing things. They're, they're, they're mostly to a standard, but you'll, you'll find some strange things. Um, so yeah, re recently I was saying, yeah, we gave up on scraping HTML and we should give up on parsing XML as well in future. But <laughs> You'll just find the next thing to scrape. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll find something. <laughs> the fact that um, all, pretty much all podcasts end up being registered with iTunes uh, means that that enforces a certain standard. Like a, they're pretty tolerant, I think, of some weird date formats. But um, 
unlike just RSS generally, there's one uh, like there's one person who approves whether your your podcast feed is good enough to be in the iTunes store or one process. I mean, so uh, for the most part, the quality of those feeds is a little better than just raw XML, but there's still lots of weird things. People do weird stuff all the time and set up their headers. Um, like there are all these useful HTTP headers that can be used for caching or making sure that you don't request a full feed when it hasn't been updated yet. And people set those up in every possible permutation. Um, and so it can be kind of tricky to still get the benefit of these things when they're implemented properly and not just uh, move to like a lowest common denominator where you assume nobody's doing anything properly. So I want to take a very quick break to talk about something special, and then I've still got a bunch of stuff that I want to talk to you guys about. So today, I want to tell you about Need. Now, Need is a company started by my friend, Mr. Matt Alexander, um, who is also a host of Bionic on 5x5. Need is a refined retailer and lifestyle magazine for men. Each month, Need curates and sells a limited quantity of exclusive products from the world's top men's brands. These collections are presented in the form of a monthly editorial built around a certain theme, and they have photos and sometimes videos shot by local independent photographers that are based in Dallas and Texas and, and all across the United States of America. America. Beyond clothing, Need also sell coffee, literature, furniture, and so forth, all the things that a modern gentleman will love. And they will soon be localizing to certain cities around the world, um, as they are US only at the moment. They've just launched Volume 6, which is called Flight, last week. It features some of the best products of people traveling this summer or getting away for short weekend breaks. For example, you should check out some of their products this month, like the Filson Weekender bag, their exclusive gibberish t-shirts, and the latest issues of magazines Offscreen and Serial. You want to go and check them out right now at needlifestyle.com. One of the things that I love about Need, I have bought things from Need myself, is Matt does a great job of selecting some fantastic products, and he displays them in a very good way, and he finds a way to tie them all together so you could go in, buy everything, and you're going to be outfitted like a very very smart, fine gentleman like Mr. Matt Alexander is. And you should go and check them out. It's needlifestyle.com. The link will be in the show notes for today's episode. Um, I have nothing but good things to say uh, for what Need does. They have a fantastic-looking website. They have really great um, descriptions for everything. It's all shot very well, um, and Matt does a, a great job at getting you fantastic items at the best prices possible. So thanks so much to needlifestyle.com, and go check them out. So, guys, how did you come up with the name for Castro? <laughs> um, we didn't. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> there's a story. Excuse here. me. It's not really a. It's not. It's not a great story, really. But um, the, the app was. I mean, I think the app. The project is called. Was called Supercast. I think. Um, we were. I think we were. Lead leading with Supercast anyway. Um, which I just it sounds atrocious to me now. Um, and it sounded atrocious to my friend Baz at the time as well. So he started sending me at any hour of the day and night, he'd start sending me suggestions of alternative names. And some of them were jokes, or at least I thought he was joking. And some of them were him, him being serious. But in the middle of all this, the Castro was in there, um, which I skipped over as quickly as I skipped over lots of the other ones. But um, we came back to it. And it just kind of stuck with with myself and Podrick, and it just seemed like a different um, angle to take on a podcast app name. Um, we we did, um, not sure how to explain it exactly, but Supercast, for example, was it was just was too cutesy, or anything that we could think of with cast at the end of it just was a bit cutesy to us. We weren't so enamored with it um, but something about Castro which obviously it doesn't say to you immediately this is, is a podcast app even though it ha does have cast in there but um, it's not it doesn't have the same emphasis on it um, we just thought it, it was memorable the fact that there is a, a podcast app called Castro I think can be remembered and yeah I think it, it's worked out well I was actually a little bit shocked the other day I did a, a Google search um, with on on privacy mode so that it wouldn't be my own um search habits and stuff feeding into it. 
and just for the word Castro, and I was pretty shocked that I mean, obviously we were down the page, but I was I was still surprised by the power of Google search that um, that Castro was on the first page of of Google search results just after a, a bunch of a bunch of w- Wikipedia articles, basically about Fidel Castro and a I can't remember what the other one was, but then yeah, then there was Castro.fm, so that was kind of cool. App Store could do with some of that search power. <laughs> My favorite thing about it is like the byline high, <laughs> high fidelity oh. <laughs> I love a good pun guys it's, a lot of people miss that but I mean I think that's it's probably better that they do um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to enjoy it I think you'll, you'll enjoy it more if it, if, it, if it didn't jump out at you immediately um, <laughs> yeah we were pretty happy when we came up with that we might not always keep it but it's fun for now so considering you guys have released a couple of products now and, and you mentioned like, you know, you, you got some good coverage here and there from some blogs, what's the number one tip that you give someone with, when they're trying to get that new app or project noticed? Patrick, I'm going to throw that one to you. Um, I'm not sure. I, I would say, well, during the development of Castro, we we tried to get a bunch of people on board on like on the beta really early. So I would say find people who are um, who will give you really good feedback, and if but if they like the app, then they might give you some publicity too. Um, so that was that was one thing we did that I think went well enough for us. And some people who I I didn't think would say anything about us ended up coming out and writing nice posts. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard to get noticed. Um, so I, I'm not really sure what the magic bullet is. I think it's just keep emailing people and if you're of the opinion that you can just build it and people will come and buy it, then you need to revise that opinion. <laughs> there's, there's a pretty good book by uh, Erica Sadon or Sadon. I don't know how to say her surname. That's pretty bad. Um, but we, we read that before we launched, um, before we launched tokens, I think. Yeah. And it's since been updated to include tokens. So that's why I get confused about whether we, whether it was before <laughs> then or not. Um, but but it was a pretty good book that you can skim through in about three or four hours and helps you understand the process from the point of view of somebody working from the unofficial Apple web blog, which, you know, a lot of a lot of the blogs you want to write about you are going to be similar to that and that how to pitch, get there. Is that pitch perfect? That's the one, yeah. Thanks. I couldn't think of the name. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's pretty good. So I'd recommend having a look at that anyway just to, to know how to get those people to, to look at you. What's the number one thing you'd advise people not to do, maybe coming from personal experience? Mm. <laughs> Let me think. I'm going to say, Oshin, you probably have something. I don't know why. I just feel like you may. It probably, so- it probably sounded like I did by that. Uh, <laughs> but um, what not to do? Like, is there anything I'm- that, you know, any mistakes that you made? Like, did you maybe try and contact people too much? Like, incessant emailing or did you keep you know or maybe attempting to buy an ad in something that didn't work for you yeah, um for for tokens actually we we paid for a few ads um throughout the year and there was one that worked pretty well that was well targeted and made sense where it was but the other sponsorships and things we did um we're, we were really happy with how the like how they came across and it was cool to have the coverage, but just financially they didn't work out. And I think when you listen to a lot of the ads that are on um, podcasts these days, like the big sponsors tend to be services that are going to get a big lifetime value out of a new customer or people who are just trying to build a brand, which is like a big expensive thing to do. But if you're trying to sell a two or $3 iPhone app, like you're going to need quite a, you're going to need a really huge number of conversions um, even just to make your money back on on the ad, so I, I'm not sure how those economics work out, but we definitely got scared off with tokens, and that was a twenty or a thirty dollar app. So, yeah, we haven't done any advertising for Castro yet, basically, main, mainly because of the, I guess, our experience with tokens. Um, I'll, I'll just be repeating what Padraig said, but I think yeah, advertising works out better for services than for for ones off product sales so I want to talk about app screenshots and this is just because I noticed 
you guys to change them. Also, I love your app screenshots, by the way. Really <laughs> Where's that? I love them again. <laughs> uh, you feature a very, very handsome podcast in your app screenshots, which are also on your uh, website. And I like that you, you have animated, uh, you have GIFs, right? I assume for some of the screenshots on your website. So it shows the functionality that the app does. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, uh, the, artwork's, the artwork's great. So it's, <laughs> that's what we want to feature. So, so you, uh, I see that you've gone from, because previously you had screenshots which explain some of the function of the application which i see in some instances but now you just have full screenshots what made you one how do you make the decision for what your screenshots feature and two why did you make that change padre i'm going to ask that to you considering i I saw you talking about it sure um well um dan cancel writes a pretty good blog about app marketing and he was the it was his post i read originally that suggested um like showing your app in use and, you know, having some kind of tagline explaining how to use it or, um, or what it does or whatever. And I, I was pretty convinced by that at the start. And I think it, it does look good for a lot of apps. Um, but we got some, we're, we're trying to convince Apple to feature us as most apps are or should be. And we got some, we got a hint from somebody we know who's been featured that, um, that, they they had the same kinds of screenshots as us and had to remove them before Apple would actually put the feature up. So part of it was being proactive about that. And then part of it was just, let's experiment with this and see what happens. I mean, I, I still I still buy the logic of Dan Cancel's blog post that this is what people are looking at and you should make the most of your, you know, the screen real estate that you get. If someone taps into your app, you should... You know, that's all they're going to look at. They're not going to read anything you wrote. So I, I see the logic of making the most of it, but I'm also pretty proud of how the app looks and think that maybe that'll help sell it. And I, I guess one last point on it is that I think people looking for a podcast app know what they're looking for. So we're we're not trying to convince them of a new concept, which maybe is a, a significant difference. Yeah, makes sense. Just show off what the app, you know, to show it off in action, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, there are quite a few uh, great podcast apps out now, um, including yours, of course. Um, and there seem to be more and more on the way. What do you do or what are you doing to try and stay competitive? And does the competition concern you in any way? Oshin, what do you think? Um, I mean, to stay competitive, I mean, we we were talking earlier about how for, for 1.0 we had to... We had to focus more and and choose uh what we could ship in six months basically um so i I mean going forward what we're looking to do is to is to to build out our our feature set in a way that's that doesn't bloat the app so um we're i mean we don't have if i mean we're looking at ipad um we're considering maybe things for mac i mean we're we're looking at basically expanding out to platforms. We're not sure exactly in which direction we'll go first. Um, but so, I mean, which is also then going to probably involve sync and just to kind of make more of, of a suite of applications that work together rather than, than the one iPhone app. Um, and we're also looking at ways that to differentiate ourselves from the rest. So not just to try to reach feature parity but we have some ideas around discovery and we're really happy with the new audio quality that we have um, in the latest version and the funds up our sleeves that we want to 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 bring to the table to help differentiate ourselves from from the apps that are there and and the apps that will continue to come so one of the things uh, that I think is quite interesting is how many people are becoming interested in this. Do you think that the market is going to continue to become more crowded as time goes on? Yeah, I would say so. Um, at the moment, I think like we, we keep a very close, close eye on the charts and the, the keyword search and stuff like that because, um, as I said, podcasts are something people search for and they know what they want. So um, those search terms are really important as a form of like how people find us. And as far as we can tell, there are maybe two apps that are making um, like good, reliable, continuous money. 
So there are quite a lot of apps out there, and they jump up and down the charts a long way. And we've been at pretty much all of the positions in the charts throughout time, and we, we know how much we make at each point. So it's it's pretty competitive, but I, I don't know if there's room for like five or ten mainstream podcast apps. No. Um, a very small handful at best, I think. Yeah, but on, on the other side, I do feel like podcasts are something that people... But because you listen to so many, if you're interested in it at all, that it it really is um, like it's kind of stupid if you won't invest two or three dollars every few months to try a new one and see what's going on. I mean, maybe the next one's going to be way better than your current one, and you're spending hours a day putting up with whatever's wrong with the one you're using now. So I, I do think like it, we're not necessarily all competing with each other. Like every time somebody buys any third party app, I think the odds of them then buying Castro. Um, or then buying another third-party app afterwards go up hugely. Whereas yeah, it reminds yeah. me of Twitter apps. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a new Twitter app every couple of weeks, and everyone would totally try it out. Yeah, and we bought all of them, right? Yeah, and it's I well, I know I'm the same with podcast apps at least, but I think I have a vested interest in these things. Mm-hmm. So the last sort of questions I want to ask today are about iOS seven because um, clearly, as you mentioned, for you guys, it all started at WWDC. Um, and iOS 7 being the thing, right? So you you guys started developing this application purely with iOS 7 in mind. And I wondered, so what what are some of the things that you considered um, when it comes to developing for iOS 7? So things like font size, is that more important? Is white space more important? Um, Oshin, what, how did those sort of things come into play for you when you were thinking about developing Castro? I'd say gestures for the start um, is one of the... Uh, one of the big areas. Um, I mean, when Apple Apple introduced the swipe from the side gesture as a as an alternative to pressing the back button at the top of the navigation bar, and I mean tapping that back button always annoyed me, especially with the with the taller screens now. Um, so seeing Apple do that, um, or I mean other apps have 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 done it as well. I mean apps have done it as well independently, but I think the increased emphasis that Apple was placing on on gestures in the interface kind of definitely fed into our thinking as we were designing the various screens of Castro. Um, so we ended up going with a full screen swipe anywhere to to go back um, and um, and dropping the back button altogether. We've added in little extra hints to especially for new users that, that to indicate this activity. I love button, that by the but, way. Buttonless Navigation. Yeah, I really, um, really like that when it, when it, that the little sort of chevron appears. Yeah, we changed it slightly in the latest version as well, where you, the default behavior is that the, you pop on a new screen, the little chevron pops pops in and st- stays there for a split second. It's timed to be exactly the same as the um, the scroll indicator flash. So we, we flash the back chevron indicator, and then it and then it pops back out. What we've done with the latest version is just to make sure that this is clearer for new users of the app. The first few times that you, until you've used, until you've swiped back a few times, that Chevron is stays there persistently. Um, then you get to a level where the Chevron pops in and pops back out, um, and um, yeah, we just kind of think that helps aid discoverability of it. Um, one thing I've been thinking about which actually it's funny because i just wrote this up in our project tracker earlier and actually myself and Patrick haven't spoken about it at all so you might think this is you (laughs) might think this is a a terrible idea altogether but it was based on an an email that we had back from uh, another a a customer basically who wanted the option to turn that off Um, i said to him i didn't think i would ever add an option to turn it off but i part of me wonders if you should base if you should reach a level where okay this is a user who uses this app every day he knows how to go back maybe we don't need to to show the indicator at all anymore so i think that might be a something to consider at least whether we end up doing it or not i don't know um, it's so strange to me that somebody would contact you wanting to be able to turn it off well i think this is one of the things that i i was thinking earlier on when you were asking the difference between making a a, a developer tool and a and a consumer app especially Maybe it's specific to 
podcast apps or I'd say are, it's probably specific, not specific to podcast apps, but two apps that people use so regularly. And um, so it's the it's same probably applies to Twitter clients and email clients where, so with tokens, I mean, we, there's a job to be done and we come up with a workflow around it and, and then that's how it works. And I mean, we get very few emails from people saying, oh, I just wish it, this little bit worked like ever so slightly differently. Um, whereas on, on Castro, I mean, you, we get emails about every minute part of the interface from, from users who everything is perfect except this one thing and everything is, if somebody else, everything is perfect except this other one thing. And so it's all perfect and it's all Not disastrous. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, that, so yeah, the gestures was one thing. Um, Apple put a lot of emphasis on like let the content speak for itself, and um, we start. And they, I mean, they started with like they had these buttons with like text only buttons with no borders, which we tried for a while and eventually didn't really like. So I mean, I, we ended up putting borders on our buttons, um, not in in a different style than would have happened probably under iOS six, but. We experimented with that. Apple talked about make, putting content front and center. So, I mean, say the, the show notes view, I mean, our main priority was, well, I called it show notes view, but the, what's usually the now playing screen, um, we kept play controls to the bottom in the, in the player bar to let the screen basically be the episode view, which will be the show notes. Um, so that, that it's easier to read the show notes and tap through links and stuff like that while you're listening to episodes. Um, which is probably lots more, but I've been talking for a while. <laughs> so, guys, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you uh, about your applications. Um, why don't you tell everyone that's listening, Padre, with you first, uh, where they can keep up with everything that you're doing on the internet? Sure. Probably the best place is um, Twitter, and I'm Padraig on Twitter, so P A D R A I G. And we also blog on Supertop, so blog.supertop.co, and that, that's worth keeping an eye on. And thanks so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure. And Oshin, what about you? So on Twitter, I'm Prendio2, which is P-R-E-N-D-I-O-2. And the website for Castro is castro.fm. There's screenshots and little demos um, there's sample of the audio to compare the, our audio quality with other apps and links to, link to the App Store. So give us a go. <laughs> and of course, all of the links to all of this stuff you will find in our show notes today, which are at 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 97. My name is Mike Hurley. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Until next time, bye-bye.